This is the Beyond Mission podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. And this year we have been exploring the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament. We're coming to the conclusion of the year with only the book of Romans and the book of Revelation left, and a little snippet there at the end of the book of Acts. And we started in on Romans last week or so, and we want to continue that discussion today. Ben, you know, you, you're like a, a Romans aficionado, right? Or, you know, are you, you've spent a little bit of time looking at Romans. And is this one of them that you translated from the Greek when you were in seminary? Yeah, over 20 years ago. 20, so, 20 years ago? Yeah. So don't ask me to do it today. But yeah, we had to, one of the classes I took was on Romans, and we had to translate Romans from the Greek. I don't even understand it in English. How, how did you pull that off in Greek? I don't have to understand it. I just had to translate it. <laughs> okay, so, fair. No, but there, there were. There were a couple of passages then that we had to do uh, enormous papers on. And, but yeah, yeah, I love Romans. My favorite, uh, if I'm allowed to have a favorite, is my favorite uh, of Paul's letters. And part of it is it's because of the uh, theological richness and denseness to it. And uh, yeah, love it. That's, that's pretty awesome. So uh, hopefully you can bring some good insights to that. I, I know when I was in seminary, one of the places where we camped out quite a bit in, in Greek class was in the book of Acts. So this year's kind of been old home week for me in that too. And Romans is, a, is an important book of the Bible that, you know, I, I, sometimes I say it's kind of thick. And that, I guess what I mean by that is uh, there's, there's a, a lot in every sentence or a lot in every paragraph, you know, there's a, there's a lot, right. That sometimes you take a look at it and like, there are words to figure out and, and what they mean. And it, but it's an important message for the church. What, as you think of Romans, I mean, the book of Romans, what is like the 30,000 foot view that you have of it? 30,000 foot view of Romans. Yeah. Well, yeah. What's what's the overall thing, you know, both Jew and Gentile, all of humanity are depraved and, uh, under under God's law, we are declared uh, guilty. We have violated uh, God's law, and that through faith in Christ, we stand righteous before God. We stand justified. Through faith in Christ, we have this everlasting, eternal peace uh, with God. And then um, that's the opening piece of Romans. And then as we move on to, to chapter 12, it's the, the therefore, um, because of the great, this great mercy this grace that God has poured out to us in Christ and reconciling us to himself. Therefore, this is the life that we should live as followers of Jesus. That's, that's pretty amazing. So we've got this contrast between that, that uh, previous life and the therefore life that is laid out in Romans. And we're kind of right in the middle of it with our, our context. Today. We're going to take a Romans 7 and 8. We'll spend some time today. I wish we had time to go through every every chapter or every verse word by word, but there's no possible way. So we will we will look at some of Romans seven and some of Romans eight today as we as we think about some of these big themes that are in the book of Romans. Let's pick it up in Romans chapter seven, and I will start in verse fourteen where Paul writes, "We know that the law is spiritual." But I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. This is what is like a tongue twister to me, this next part. 
For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. It, it sounds like Dr. Seuss a little bit. <laughs> am, am I thinking wrong here? Um, so uh, let's, let's take a look. You know, I do not understand what I, what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. There's, there's a lot of I do's and things in there. And let, let's just take a look at that, that piece and then the rest of that passage that's there a little bit. Uh, what is, what's he trying to say here? I mean, he, Paul, was, Paul was a bad guy. His name Saul. He was a bad guy. He was persecuting, killing Christians. He became one of the good guys, so to speak. He, he was redeemed by Christ. He was, he was justified before God. And yet here he's saying, but I'm still doing stuff I don't want to do. So walk me through this. I mean, this is, this is like the guy that half of the New Testament seems to be about, that Jesus is the main character, and, it, and the, the leading guy for that is Paul, really. I mean, there, there are certainly other huge people in the New Testament, but Paul, half of the book of Acts is about him, half of the epistles were written about him, or, I mean, by him. So why, how is this leader in the early church saying, man, I, I'm a mess? That's what it looks like to me. Yeah, I mean, recognizing, though, that there is some debate and discussion on whether or not Romans 7, or this passage in Romans 7, is Paul talking about his life pre-Jesus or his life post-Jesus. Either way, Paul's point is that living uh, under the law, recognizing that the law itself is good, holy, and righteous, that we ourselves— Living when we live apart from Jesus, we are uh, living into sin and confronted by the law, as crazy as this sounds, confronting, confronted by what is good, right, and holy uh, because of the depravity that exists within us. We instinctively rebel against the law, even when we realize that it's, it's right and good. And so earlier in Romans 7, Paul makes this point and he says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Because, why? Because the law is right, good, and holy. And then Paul goes on, he says, Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law, for I would not have known what coveting really uh, was if the law had not said, do not covet. And then he says this, But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. And so he's, like, he, he's basically saying, hey, the law says that coveting is bad. I agree that the law, what the law says is right, good, and holy, that coveting is bad, but confronted with the law, which tells me not to covet, because of sin, I want to go covet. And so as he's speaking into uh, the law and the, the work of the law, the point that he's making is that the law reveals sin in us um, and really reveals the magnitude of our depraved nature that we actively desire to rebel against God, um, even as we recognize that the truth of God is good, right, and whole. I, I, that's really interesting. I, I, don't, I don't know that I would even think there's a debate on whether this was about Paul before Christ or after Christ. To me, it's clearly after. But what, what am I missing that would make me 
be con- I mean, I've heard some of these things, but it seems plain that he's talking about his life because it's a struggle for Christians. Pe- people are in Christ, and and yet we're not perfect. We're called to that. We're called to righteousness. We're called to holiness. But there's a recognition that we're tempted, and and in Corinthians, Paul writes that God provides a way out so we can stand up under it. But we got to take that way out. And he seems to be talking about life right now. Uh, down in verse. 22, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. It seems like he's talking about a current battle in life that he's going through, and that if we read it, we probably do too when we think, why did I do that? Yeah, but even pre him coming to Jesus Christ, he would have delighted in the law of God as a Pharisee. He would have seen the law as good, right, and whole, and recognized that within himself there was this this aspect to his depravity that compelled him toward rebellion. And so some folks, not not me, but some folks, because there is, there's a huge debate over this. There's there's been a lot of ink spilled. <laughs> On this passage. Yeah, I just don't see it. Crazy enough. And so what they hinge their argument on is uh, verse 24, where it says, What a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so what people see or how they view it is that Paul, leading in to that verse, is expressing his life pre-Christ, saying, Who will will save me from the the wretchedness, the, the wretched man that I am under the law? Only Christ Himself can save me uh, from that, and so uh, that's just that's the way uh, some folks uh, view the passage. That's how they see it. Um, yeah, I'm more inclined to agree with you that this is Paul uh, actively living out his relationship with Jesus Christ, and a part of that wrestling with the this almost this conflict within between the work of the Spirit, which we'll see in chapter eight, and uh, this, this, the, the depraved nature that still exists. Because it's still part of our lives, that depravity is still with us. And when we don't surrender ourselves fully to Jesus, temptation is still there. Sin is still there. Right. It's, and it seems to me that's what he's talking about, this battle that the Christian has to say, I am, my, my identity is in Christ, but I still have a foot in the world. And I must decide which way my feet are pointed. Am I, am I, if my feet are pointed toward Jesus, I'm walking that way. If my feet are pointed away from Jesus toward the world, that's the way I walk. And we have to be aware that as believers, we have this battle that he's talking about in this passage. I mean, verse 20, now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. And so the, it's still there. It's still present. It's still in our world. At least that's my my take on it. And I, I'm not here to debate other scholars who have, as you say, spilled a lot of ink over this. Yeah. Well, and I, I agree with you because as he goes into Romans eight, it's the point that he's making that when when we are living contrary to God's will and desire, contrary to God's moral ethic, we are living in the flesh. We are not living by the Spirit. But we are basically uh, giving license for uh, our, our depravity to take hold. 
uh, rather than yielding ourselves to the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so take us into some of that. Romans 8, life in the Spirit. Um, what, what, what do you lift up out of that that you want to help us get this contrast between life in the flesh, life in the world, compared to life in the spirit and Romans 8 helps us get there. Yeah, one of the one of the things that I love about Paul is this constant reminder um even as he engages with the sin that we wrestle with, the sin that we struggle with, the constant reminder that it is through Christ alone by which we are uh justified, by which we are made righteous, um that it's through Christ alone uh by which there is no condemnation under the law. And he reemphasizes that point, uh, having gone on this extended journey through this wrestling with sin, he reinforces this point, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, and then he goes in, he launches into the work of the Spirit within us. And if I had to, uh, these opening uh, verses, you know, 1 to 17, if I had to just summarize them uh, relative to what Paul is trying to communicate, Again, it's that if we're living contrary to what God's will is, we are living by the flesh. We are not living by the Spirit. And that the Spirit works within the follower of Christ to sanctify us, to refine us fully into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, you know, in verse 13, uh, you know, by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body. And that in that, we will live. We will find true life uh, in Christ as the Spirit is putting to death the misdeeds of the body as the Spirit is moving and working to align our hearts with the heart of God to where we come to increasingly love what God loves and cherish what God cherishes. And then as we see this transformation taking place, uh, Paul makes the point, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So as we're experiencing this transformation into the likeness of Jesus Christ, it's revealing to us that the Spirit has taken root in our life, that we are truly bound up and united with Jesus Christ. That's a, a really important note uh, that you've lifted up there, that we get a new identity as a child of God. And that alone helps us to reframe our, our hearts and desires toward what is of God as opposed to what is of the flesh. Let me pick up that passage you just were talking about, and we'll look at it as, as a one big context, starting in verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. It's a very intimate name for God. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. This, this passage is a rich and powerful passage in that it, it reorients us from being children of the world, children of the devil, I mean, depraved people, to children of God who are not only adopted, grafted into the family, but are called sons and daughters, are made heirs. And you think, what does God have? 
How about everything? Everything tangible and intangible since the creation of the world? And we're heirs to that. So it's a, it's a reframing, a reorienting of our identity away from the world and through the, the Spirit of God who dwells in us to remind us, to make us remember, to know we belong to him. And I, and I think that's a, an important distinction to lift up. Like, who do we belong to? Do I, am I, do I belong to myself? Do I, you know, am, am I my own man? You know, you do you and you be you and all the phrases of today. And, and it's like, I, I don't think so. I think it's like, you be God's and you do God on earth. I mean, we're, we're called to be like him. So it's this reframing of who we are as, as his children and his heirs. Uh, give me some thoughts on, on those topics. Well, and, and moving out of Romans 6 and Romans 7, again, one of the things that Paul emphasizes really is that you're either living under the reign and rule of sin or we're living under the reign and rule of Jesus Christ. Yep. It's one or the other. There's no gray area. There's no in-between. And so Paul makes the point um, in Romans 6 that we're either slaves of sin or we're slaves of God. And which is it? The beauty of being a, a slave of God, a servant of God, is that we have that, that God treats us as his beloved uh, children, which you know you just expressed coming out of Romans 8. And when we think about the inheritance that we have, we're co-heirs with Christ. And so everything that is Jesus's is ours. And an aspect of that, which I like to, I like to remind us of, I remind myself of every day, is that in that God, God's love toward us is the exact same as if we were Christ himself. And so God the Father has cast all of his affections upon us as if we were Jesus himself. That's the measure of his love toward us. Because that love isn't rooted in us, it's rooted in the work of Christ. And so that's where we stand. We stand as beloved children. We stand as those no longer under condemnation. We stand as those who are embraced for eternity as if, again, as if we were Jesus himself. So in that, the world's got nothing on us. It has no power really over us. He drives at that in the latter part of Romans chapter 8, when he's talking about, like, you still live in the world. You're, you're still there. And in verse 18, he said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So there, are, there is suffering that happens in the world. Same thing for weakness in verse 26. In the same way, he said, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So things like suffering and weakness are still part of the world, still part of life for the believer as well as the, the unbeliever, and it's, it's real. But I love the, the questions that he poses beginning in verse 31, basically saying with this identity you're talking about, this identity in Christ you're talking about, he said he, these questions, uh, who can be against us? Who can bring any charge against us? Who can condemn us? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? And, and the answer to all these is like nobody. I mean, because if you are in Christ, if you are a, have been adopted as a child of God, you're a son, you're a daughter of God, there's nothing that anyone else can do, the world can do, nothing that Satan can do to remove that from you. 
it doesn't guarantee that you're going to not go through hard times in life. In fact, probably will. But nobody can take it from you. He is making this clear in verses 31 through 36. And so after he asks all of these questions, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Verses 37 to 39, he lays out the answer. He says, no. In all these things, in, like, in, in all of these hardships and persecutions and troubles and famine and nakedness and danger and sword and all these things he lists, all, this, all these challenges of life, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. That seems like a strange thing to say, Ben. I, I got to tell you, conquered people aren't usually the ones who are facing persecution and famine and the danger and sword and trouble and hardship. But he, he's saying, we are more than conquerors through all these things. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, and here's where, here's where it's real. I am convinced, he says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a nail to hang your hat on right there. I mean, that's some pretty good stuff, isn't it? Yeah, and that, that's the point Paul's making, because Paul, and Scripture doesn't, Scripture doesn't sugarcoat life. I mean, Paul is blunt, I mean, and he's experienced every ounce of brokenness that this world offers. Paul himself has experienced it through the trials and tribulations that he has endured as a follower of Christ. And so Paul, you know, as you, as you mentioned, shares in verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed yeah. in us. And so are we going to suffer? Will we endure suffering in this world? Absolutely. That's just a given. But in Christ, Paul says that we are more than conquerors. How are we more than conquerors? Because we can't be separated from God. For those who are in Christ, we exist in perfect, in union with Christ. And so in that, there's nothing that can separate us from God, nothing that can separate us, as Paul describes, from uh, the love uh, of God that has come to us in Christ. And so when Paul, later on in his life, when he is nearing death, he knows he's about to be killed, and he's writing to Timothy, one of the things that Paul says to Timothy is that he, again, recognizing that he's about to die, like death is certain, he's going to be beheaded, and yet he tells Timothy, in verse 18 of chapter 4, he says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. Again, Paul knows that physically he is about to die, and yet he says the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. And so we, we exist, I mean, we've already, because Christ has won, we have already won. I think the, the struggle that we often exist in is we too often, and I, and I get it, I understand it, you know, we, we view life through present circumstances. We view life through our present physical reality. Um, and we're not often rooted in our eternal certainty that has come to us through Jesus Christ. So, in other words, when people are going through hard times and they say, I, I don't understand this. I've, I've been faithful to God. I've been going to church and you know, reading my Bible or whatever. Why would God allow this to happen to me? That's a that's probably the wrong question. Right. What's the right question? 
the right question is why is God allowing this to happen to me from the standpoint of how is God using this for the uh, benefit of my relationship with him? That does not minimize the brokenness we are suffering because every ounce of brokenness is a byproduct of the fall. And so it's not like we rejoice in the hurts and pains and suffering and disease of this world because we realize these things are a byproduct of 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 the fall itself. And so, you know, as, I, as I've said before, you know, brokenness wasn't on God's bingo card at creation. He created things perfectly. He you crea- think there's bingo in heaven? According to the Knights of Columbus, there there's definitely well, bingo me, in heaven. Let me just say, if, if there is either bingo or country music in heaven, I will be sorely disappointed. I, <laughs> I don't know if you can be disappointed when you get to heaven, but <laughs> so I don't, I don't want to minimize though, like the struggling and, and what people suffer in this world, but also recognizing that in the presence of, of, of the suffering, God is present with us. And we have the, the cross as this undeniable witness to us that God's love toward us is unfailing. And as Paul mm-hmm. says in Romans 8, that he is for us, that God is for us. What's the evidence that God is for us? That he did not spare his own son, but gave him up uh, to the cross for us all. And so we can lean upon that and know that God, and entrust ourselves fully to God, believing, as he says in, in Romans eight twenty eight, that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. And so we entrust ourselves uh, to those words, uh, whether in the blessings of life or in the hurts of life, God is working in us. He's allowing us, not necessarily causing the, the things, but allowing us sometimes to endure yeah. hardship, to endure trials for the greater good, for our greater good, uh, which is not confined to a momentary trial or suffering, and it's not confined even to physical death. There's a lot to think about with all this. And in the end, we just need to know that we, we belong to him. He, he has adopted us. God has adopted us. And we are heirs, co-heirs with Christ. And because of that, we are more than conquerors, even in the midst of hard times in life. Um, Good discussion today. Next time we'll we'll finish our exploration of the Book of Romans. We're gonna we're gonna go to Romans twelve. You know the passage you you mentioned today. And we're gonna take a look at that and see what that. I'm a, I think I'm gonna add cats to the list. If if cats are in heaven, I'll be disappointed there. Now that I've offended, Do you have some sort of uh, bad experience oh, with cats. Over now that I've offended over, them? I'm highly allergic to cats. Now that I've offended half the population, I'll get the other half. Wow. And uh, yeah, that, that you're just going it. full board today. I don't know. Did you, you know, wake up on the wrong side of the bed? You know, this cats. If, 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 it's just Persian and Siamese cats. That's the ones that actually make my eyes swell shut. Um, so I don't have a really good relationship with them. Ben, is all, is all this hate that you're spewing? Is it a byproduct of the Reds not making the postseason <laughs> once again? <laughs> the Reds were relevant beyond May, so I'm happy. Oh, okay. Fair enough. So that, that's how that works. Well, folks, uh, we, we are grateful that you've been with us today and stay with us. We only have a, a few of these left for this season. We are looking forward to finishing it up with you. So hang in there. We'll continue on and we'll see you next time. God bless. <laughs>